Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Kesset. I'm so excited to be here. Wasn't that just, that was just really special worship, wasn't it? Just to get, I have a different view from the back and uh, man, it's, um, we're just so blessed with the people that sacrifice their time and talents to, uh, to come and, and, and bring that offering. Uh, I'm so excited. If you're brand new, my name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed, and I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, we're in a series right now called The Quickening, and it's kind of our summer thing, and uh, there's different symbols that represent different quickenings or catalysts that, from a biblical perspective, God might use to awaken Uh, things within your life, good things, things you're wrestling with, freedoms, uh, things you need to step away from, all sorts of different things. And every single week, um, I have people who try to guess what the different things mean. And so I just want to officially tell you once and for all, you're never going to know till I share with you the weekend we're going to speak about it. So just stop asking. You're like, oh, I see that one. That's definitely going to represent this. And I'm like, you see nothing and you're just guessing and it's not going to work. I'm just letting you know it's not going to work. This week, we're using this raindrop or water. Uh, yep, oh, yeah, see, he's like, yep, knew it, and I knew it. I told my wife, that's exactly what it was. And it's going to be, it's gonna, we're going to talk a little bit about fear today. Uh, and we're going to use the story of Jonah, but from a very different perspective than most of us have heard it, because I actually think a lot of the times, because of the way we learned about Jonah in Sunday school and the sort of the fantastic way that it's kind of represented, we miss some of the deeper things that that Jonah wants to share with us, specifically in the context of fear. And so uh, let me pray for you that that you would really be open and authentic about the things in your life that bring you fear, and that those wouldn't maybe only be negative things. Maybe there's actually some positive things in your life due to this biblical concept that we're going to teach about today. So let's uh, just uh, close our eyes, open up our hearts. Lord, we thank you that we can have a conversation with you, that that we are in a dynamic relationship with you that moves and ebbs and flows. I thank you for every person in this room, whether they are brand new, whether they are uh, far from, whether they are on a journey seeking, whether they don't buy into any of this, or whether, Lord, they know that they're here today for just a purpose, an intimate purpose. I ask that you would meet every one of those needs and that you would meet it in such a way that it was undeniably you and no one else. Please remove all distractions from us as we engage in this wonderful, beautiful topic of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When I was 17 years old, I bought my first car. I bought a 65 Mustang, and it was kind of ratty, but my uncle and I uh, built it up and and refurbished it and redid the engine, and and I I felt really good about it, and it was sort of my pride and joy. I uh, was driving around all that summer having a great time, and I decided that I was going to be a good grandson and bring, bring my grandma lunch. And so I drove to my grandma's house, and we had lunch, and we watched one of her television shows, and, and, and we spent, you know, a good two hours. And I remember on the way to her house that they were working on a streetlight. And I remember thinking, oh, they're putting a streetlight here. That's, that's kind of weird. I've been driving this road forever. There's no streetlight here. Well, two hours later, as I'm coming back from my grandma's house, I'm feeling pretty good about myself because what grandson spends two hours during his summer just eating lunch with his grandma watching her TV shows? Now, when you're young and you feel good about yourself, it's a little like when you're shopping and you're hungry. You, you kind of drive with a different attitude because you're like, I'm like, 
I'm like awesome. Like this is like who does this? Like I've got this cool car. Like I'm I'm just really enjoying who I am and what I'm about. And I was driving far too fast with far too much confidence when I blew that now turned on streetlight. I know that I blew the streetlight because there was a C-Tran bus that started to pass in front of me. And at first, I was super frustrated and dealing with a different emotion than I want to talk about today, and that's anger. I saw the bus, and I saw the bus driver look at me, and he made a face, and I made a face. Like, what do you think you're doing? Now, I had been driving at this point, you know, for about a good year, and I was okay enough to uh, avoid this bus, but I didn't slow down at all. And so as I'm flying up on the bus, I'm starting to realize that he is not slowing down either, and people on the side of the bus starting to cram the windows (laughs) as I saw in their eyes the emotion I was about to feel, which was fear. They're looking at me, I'm looking at them in confusion as I begin to go around the back of the bus and everyone else that's coming from the light is now behind them and I have nowhere to go. And so I panicked. I, out of pure fear, out of pure instinct, pushed the car sideways, hit the gas in order to try and skid myself through this traffic. It was epically done, beautiful, completely by accident. I mean, I was like, whoa, going completely sideways. The car's hopping, the bus is coming, the other car's coming, and right as the car right behind the bus passed, I spun that big old old wheel sideways, and the car kicked around and pushed through two cars and landed nose to nose with the guy sitting at the light watching the whole thing happen. And I'm sitting there. And it's sitting there. The bus pulls over and people start getting out. I don't know why. I don't know if that's procedure, but they're getting out. One lady fell to the ground and kissed it like she survived the storm, you know? And, and I'm, I'm just like, I'm a mess. And the guy in front of me just goes like this. And then as I drove by him, he looks over at me and he goes, that was some epic driving, son. And I took off before the police came so that they couldn't give me a ticket. Now, I believe to this day that fear is what saved my life. Arrogance is what got me in there, but fear is what got me out. And so when I talk about fear today, I don't want to just talk about it in a way that you're like, okay, it's all about me being scared and all about me needing to overcome. I actually think oftentimes, especially biblical fear, it's putting your life for a purpose to get you out of a situation that most of the time you put yourself in. So it's a beautiful picture, and I think it sets a beautiful context for what we're going to do with Jonah. Now, because Jonah is far too well known for me to preach how you expect me to, uh, we're going to start with Jonah at the end. And this is an important thing to understand about fear, because when you know the end of the story, then you usually don't have the same kind of fear when you read the front of the story that you should. But it also allows you to be a little more dissective inside the story to see what's happening because you know where Jonah ends up. So I'm going to read to you the very end of Jonah chapter 3 when he actually goes to the city God has called him to go to. Jonah was a powerful man. He was a spiritual man. He was a faithful man. He was a good man. God said, I want you to go to bad people. Really, really bad people. As a matter of fact, one scholar of the time wrote that the people of Nineveh were a plague of vile creatures. They were terrible. They were sacrificial of each other. They, they, would, they would raid and they would, they would campaign against other people and take slaves. And they did terrible things that I don't even want to talk to you about today. But if you want to look up the, the Nineveh and those people at that time, you certainly can. But it, they did all the bad things that you would imagine bad people would do. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go to them. And Jonah says no, which is what we're going to talk about in a minute. 
God helps Jonah, and that's what we're going to teach on. And eventually Jonah gets there, and this is what happens. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out this simple phrase from God. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Didn't put a lot of effort into it. Just kind of a C plus prophecy, if you ask me. No details, nothing more. He just was there because God said he had to. God's got a message. In 40 days, your city's going to burn. What? Yeah, 40 days. Next street, next person to tell. And the people of Nineveh believed what Jonah was saying, for they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And as you know, if you know the story, the city was saved. This is an important picture because here's what I want you to see about fear. This happened and these people were saved not because of God's comforting love, not because of God's graciousness, not because of a really uh, well-intentioned and articulate prophet who explained to them the, the details of their great sin. These people changed and were saved because of fear. Jonah said, God's gonna rock your world in 40 days unless you change. And they said, okay, we'll change. And they did. And suddenly, as you know, God's like, they're repenting. I can work with that. This is an important picture to understand because I think oftentimes we forget the beauty of fear and the bravery it takes to face it and then respond to it appropriately. Some of you in your life right now, you're going to relate to the city of Nineveh better than Jonah that I'm going to talk about in a second because you saw fear, you saw the bus, and you went, somebody's going to get hurt, and you responded. You showed up at church today, maybe, out of fear. I've been told by people that's not a good reason to come to church. They're wrong. That's bad theology. For some people, that's a great reason to go to church. For some reason, you've got an emotional bus that smacked into your life like two weeks ago, and you're here because you almost saw the end of your story, and you realize God still has more for you, and you're responding appropriately, and you're here today. That's some of you. But I'm going to wager that it's not most of you. Most of you if you're anything like me, are actually on a journey a little more like Jonah. Jonah didn't get to the prophecy and the saving of the city through God the easy way. A lot of us need to remember that. God told Jonah to go to a foreign city called Nineveh, but he didn't want to. Jonah didn't think that was such a good idea. For Jonah, both his safety and his piety were at stake. He heard where God wanted, and the first thing he thought was about himself. Whoa, those are wicked people. They might hurt me. The second thing he thought was, those are people unlike me. They're wicked people. I'm righteous. I'm your prophet. As a matter of fact, you're the creator of all things, and you're talking to me. That alone makes me special enough to not go. <laughs> it's a funny way Christians think, isn't it? Like the Lord touches you. He ministered to you. He meets you in the midst of your worship and your Bible study, and you're like, that must make me different than everybody else. I'm just going to keep that to myself, and I'm going to do some life with other people like that who are safe and touched by the Lord. And many times we build buildings around those people and call it church. Oh, that's offensive because that's not at all what this is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about us recognizing that God called us because we're not different than people, but actually because we're so much like them. Jonah can't figure that out, but he's about to, he's about to. 
So instead of listening to God, he runs. He runs in the opposite direction from what he was called to do. Here's something I want you to notice. And again, I'm speaking to the people who don't relate fully to Nineveh. To those of you in the room who fear hasn't really played a very powerful part in your story. You're more of a grace person. You're more of a, a love person. Fear's not really part of the way you respond to God. That's fine. Let's just keep going. Let's just see how this relates to you and where you're at today. God calls Jonah to go, and here's the thing you need to know about when God calls you to go. You can never stay where you are when God calls you to go. Why didn't Jonah just stay in his city of reputation? Why didn't he just stay at his day job? Why didn't he just stay preaching at the church and prophesying at the synagogue? Why didn't he just stay where he was? God says, Jonah, go, and Jonah's like, no, I'm not going there, but I am going over here. Every time God calls you to do something, you move, either closer to God or further away, every single story, every single time. When God speaks to you, you move. If you have been in the same place doing the same thing for years and years and years and years, respectfully, chances are you are listening to God, but it happens to be little g God, that's you. Because you control your world and your environment. And I will always go to what's easy, to what's comfortable. I will take in people that need to be taken in to my home. I will handle things. I will do things that make me feel good because I am at the center of my universe. And I will do it perpetually. I won't risk much. I won't challenge much. And I certainly won't run from God because why would I run from myself? Look at the kingdom that I've built me. People who are running from God people who are seeking a way to avoid him are some of my most favorite people to meet with because they're people that know he's real. You think Jonah knew he was real when he got on a boat and sailed the opposite direction? You think he had any doubt God was real? He was foolish about his faith, but he had faith. People that follow God into dangerous places and dangerous situations, those people also have faith. The people that scare me are the people who are the same year after year and tend to only do spiritual things that benefit them and their reputation. Because there's no risk in that. Not, I have a feeling I hit a nerve with some of you because the room's pretty silent. Not a ton of clapping or yahoos anymore. <laughs> and that's okay, that's okay. Just stay there. Let's see what God does with those of us who build kingdoms around ourselves. And by the way, I've done it many times. God always does a really good job of tearing it down. And now I recognize when he wants to tear it down. So I rarely stay where I am. I'm really good at running from him, and I'm really good at running toward him. But I've, I'm really actually quite, a, quite amazed at how rarely God has allowed me to stay where I am. He just doesn't. He just doesn't. He knows it would rot me from the inside out, I think. I'm too good at kingdom building around Danny. And so he likes to tear it down, just like he's going to tear down Jonah's. Jonah gets on a boat, and he's exhausted, because when you run from God, you're exhausted. So it says, it's amazing, a storm came, but Jonah was asleep. This is when you know you're emotionally exhausted, when you've given up all the resources you can to protect you, because you have nothing else to give anybody else. And so he falls asleep. It's at this point, the crew comes and wakes him up because the storm is so crazy. Matter of fact, the storm is so out of character for the Mediterranean Sea that they're in that they themselves, who don't believe in God, proclaim, this has to be the gods. There's no storms right now. They're looking at the waves and the lightning and the wind, and they know they're going to sink. And so they begin to try to figure out what to do, and they cast lots to figure out whose fault it is. But Jonah says, I already know whose fault it is. It's mine. It's my fault. 
And so he says to them this very profound thing that I think, once again, is so important for us as we unpack biblical characters. He says to them, throw me overboard. He says, throw me overboard. Now, this is amazing and important because when you go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story from two weeks ago, there are other highlighted Christian figures, people that uh, we look to that we want to be like, and they stand up to Nebuchadnezzar. I shared this two weeks ago, and they say, we will not bow down to you. Even if we are in that fire, we're not going to do it. And then the very next passage says that a whole bunch of strong men threw them into the fire and got burnt up. And I presented this argument very lightly that if they were so righteous, if they were so devoted, if they were so committed to the God who called them, why wouldn't they just walk in the fire themselves? The answer is fear. They're afraid. They're afraid of pain. They're afraid of struggle. They're committed in heart, but in flesh, they're afraid. And so Nebuchadnezzar has to have strong men drag them so close to the door of the furnace to throw them in. It's not like, well, we're, we're almost there. Let's just be faithful and jump in. No, they had to be drugged all the way to the point that the people who threw them in died. There is no difference here with Jonah. He's like, this storm is my fault. This whole situation is because I ran from God. I have got to make a difference in my life. I have got to jump into this storm and make it right. Somebody's going to have to throw me in. (laughs) How many times in our lives do situations that bring great fear How many times are they actually the quickening or the catalyst that is supposed to throw us overboard or drive us into the furnace? And we run from it and we squirm from it and we kick and we scream. And a lot of times we blame. I'm I'm here to tell you, and I'm going to do a spiritual warfare talk so that I, I really want this to be something that we understand really well, especially as we move buildings and all the the drama that that brings as our identity kind of changes as we get ready to become something that we've never been. But I am so tired of people blaming the storms they've created in their own life on Satan and everyone else. The reality is I have enough storm-creating behavior in my life that all Satan has to do is leave me alone. Now, I'm not saying he's not present and active, and I'm not saying he's not involved, but if you can't own your own storm, if you... I sit in beautiful marriage sessions with people. Some of the most incredible breakthroughs are when one of the couples, or sometimes both of the couples, uh, can own the fact that this storm is my fault, at least a big part of it. This situation is my fault. You have wayward children, and you're like, this is them, and we gave them everything, and you can never own that that maybe you're a little part of the storm. Maybe you're a little part of what, what brought you here. I mean, people will, they'll get DUIs and be like, yeah, the devil just got into me, Pastor Danny. And I'm like, nope, that's called, you know, maybe alcoholism. That's what that's called. That, that's not devil. That's you. And when you can own that, And be honest with people around you, especially people who understand the fear, people who understand the storm, then the best thing sometimes those people can do is throw your butt overboard. I said in a lot of meetings, unfortunately, I throw a lot of people overboard. They come to me for comfort, and I give it to them, but often it's your behavior is the reason this has happened. Yeah, but you don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that there's a storm in your life that's been there a long time, You keep making the same 
repeat decisions that bring the same destruction over and over and over again. You keep trying to be the one that saves people instead of pointing people to Jesus. You keep having views of everybody else around you that are less than you. You must be the center of all things, which means you are the center of the storm as well. See, if you're going to build your own kingdom, you got you to accept the fact that kingdoms go to war. And if you're at the center of that kingdom, then that means that war is your fault. It's when Christ is at the center of the kingdom it's when you're where he wants you to be that wars break out and you can go, this is spiritual warfare now because I'm exactly where God wants me to be. And that's a whole other tactic than when you're the one creating the storms in your life. I know, I'm amazing at creating storms. Amazing. And it's only been recently through my therapy and the emotional health journey that I'm on that I've been able to own the fact that it's me. It's me. And then... Every time, my wife just throws me overboard. Every time. She just, <laughs> it is you, she says. <laughs> it is you. And, and it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful in a sense because what happens next with Jonah can happen and does happen with all of us. Jonah gets thrown overboard. He has people that do it for him. It's often, I like this quote, we need a storm to drive us into a place quiet enough for us to hear God speaking. And that's exactly what Jonah is getting thrown into a place quiet enough for us to hear God speaking. Notice it doesn't say we get thrown into a storm so we can hear God finally speak. God's speaking to you right now. He's been speaking to you the whole time. You just can't hear it because the storm is blaring past your yourself, your life, your decisions. And when you can get thrown in, when you can realize that it's only him that you have, then suddenly you can hear the words he's saying. God wasn't done with Jonah as he bobbed up and down in those waters waiting to drown. He had work for this wandering believer to do. So he sent a great fish. Just listen to the way that Jonah describes this experience. We messed this up in Sunday school, uh, and I'm going to fix it here today. Jonah 2, 1 through 3. From inside the fish, this is what Jonah said. As soon as he got swallowed up, then Jonah prayed to the Lord of his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Here's what you need to realize about this point of the story with Jonah. When that fish came, Jonah still thought he was going to die. We teach the story as if God sent the fish to rescue Jonah from the storm. But it, from Jonah's perspective, if I'm in the storm and I'm swimming, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I can find some driftwood. Maybe I can find some land. Maybe the storm will go away. Maybe the guys in the boat will come back and pick me up. Maybe I'll be strong enough miraculously to, to wait this out. And suddenly you see a fin swimming towards you and a huge mouth. And you're like, nope, guess I'm dying. And then you get swallowed up and taken down to the depths. And from that place, you pray a prayer to God to go, I'm still here, I'm still alive. We oftentimes act like the fish is the rescuer, but in truth, to Jonah, the fish didn't equal rescue. It just equaled certain death instead of maybe death. So many fishes in the room right now have swallowed people like you and I, and have defined for us a situation beyond our control and understanding. And we miss it because we don't understand the end of the story, which is God wanting to use us, restore us, renew us, cause us to bring a greater message to a different people. Instead, we're in the storm, we're drowning, we're asking for help. God sends a fish and we're like, well, that's it. I'm dead. Another divorce, more addiction, another relapse. I'm dead. 
And we don't see that perhaps inside those situations is a place quiet enough, finally broken upon our knees to call out to God like Jonah did, huddled and hiding in the darkness, afraid, scared. He finally says to God the very next verse, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down, down, down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He says, in essence, I'm done. He just says, I'm done. God, there are people in this room right now, I'm just going to open-eyed pray it over you, you are so ready to be done, and God has swallowed you up so many times, and every time you've blamed everybody but yourself, when instead what you should be doing is just crying out to him from the depths of the darkness that only you know, and proclaiming to God, he is good, and you are done. This is the beauty of Jonah's story. It's the beauty of how the Bible unpacks all kinds of things for all kinds of people who finally get to this point where they say, God, I'm done. What do you have in store for me next? After I ran the opposite direction from what you told me to do, after I failed to obey you, after I made decision after decision after decision in disobedience, after I have been so slow to believe, what will you do with me in the belly of this fish? Consider a parallel picture of what the disciples were feeling during those three dark, lonely days that Jesus lay in the tomb. Just a tiny little biblical context. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Jesus was in the tomb before he was rose from the grave for three days. I wonder if they're tied together. They are, in case you're wondering. (laughs) Do you think those disciples were afraid? Do you think they had doubts? Do you think they had questions? Do you think that As Jesus was arrested, maybe that was the storm. As people started deserting them, maybe that was the waves. As people started uh, uh, calling them out and persecuting them, maybe that was the first gulp of seawater. And then suddenly they take him and they flog him and the storm's almost beyond control. But maybe there's still hope. Maybe he'll still say something. He's a miracle worker. He could heal himself. Maybe he can do something amazing. And then all of a sudden they drag him to that cross and they nail him to to that tree. And everyone sees Jesus exposed and they think there's no way he's going to die. He's the Messiah. And then boom, he's swallowed up into death. And they're the lowest they've ever been. And so what do they do? They go huddle in the darkness like Jonah did in that upper room for three days and three nights. And they cry out to God. And you know what they say? They say, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. He said he was going to be different. He said he was going to make up for the stuff in my life that, 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 that I can't do, and now he's dead. The truth is, we will all have days of wondering and days of uncertainty. To be a Christian is to experience these things. Sometimes more than just hours, days, nights, years of uncertainty. And we try to fight those storms instead of being done. And so God sends a situation. He sends a a great fish, a a great creature, a great circumstance to swallow us up, to finish us off so we can get to the place these disciples and Jonah was. Have you considered for a second that to the disciples, the cross didn't equal rescue? That's something you and I know because we know the end of the story. 
See, the fish is only a rescue because we know that Jonah went to Nineveh. And the cross is only rescue because we know that he rose again three days later. But the disciples didn't experience that way. They experienced it as a finishing off of who they used to be. So much of the Bible is about us transforming from who we used to be to who we're supposed to be. And you cannot be a new man or woman until the old man or woman is dead or done. That's what this story's about. It's about a driving down of the human desire to be the center of all things and the owner of all things and the, and the creator and driver of all things. And God weathers us with storms and he weathers us with destruction and we scream from beneath the waves, I can still breathe and I can still swim. And he goes, yeah, what about this? And then you sit in the midst of the heaviness that is your own circumstance, almost always caused by you, almost always caused by me. And you finally say, God, I'm done. And it's, it's, like, it's like that's everything for him. And he says, that's what I needed. We know that Jesus told his disciples, he told them that, they needed to be in a place where they understood this concept, this idea that, that we have to be done with, with, with who we used to be and move to who we are, but we don't leave who we used to be completely aside because it's impossible for us to do so. This is one of the most beautiful parts about the story of Jonah that is illustrated so well for years now. I'm going to put this quote on the screen. The church has been a spiritual factory producing people who only know how to think in black and white concepts. We teach people for years now that if your old man is gone and your new man that I just preached about that you're supposed to be as present, then the old man exists no more. And then the old man rears his head at a dinner table when something gets said that you didn't expect. Or the old man or woman shows up in traffic. Yeah, show of hands, how many people? Yeah, your old man, old women drivers. Yeah, new, no new creation in your car. Yeah, okay. Whatever the circumstances, and then we feel this immense shame because now we've moved from being uh, good to being bad. And man, Pastor Danny's sermon just really messed me up. He said, I got to be done. But I, I thought it was done. And then that person cut me off and that old me came up and I was like, ah, or, or the kids or the marriage or the relationship. And here's the thing that you need to understand about the power of the gospel. That isn't how it's supposed to work at all. We teach our children that there's only heroes and villains. Always heroes and villains. Next slide. There's always a group of people trying to uh, uh, overcome another group of people who are trying to hurt them. Next slide. It's even down to the smallest children. This is what we teach our kids, that everything is black and white. And so we flip from being old man, full of shame. Why can't I overcome this? Why can't I deal with these issues in my life? Why do they keep showing up? To new man, I am so righteous and so clean. I can't even believe how good, I haven't dealt with any of this stuff for so long. I must be special and important to the kingdom. And then God says to Jonah or to the disciples, Go share with those people that don't fit in. And if you're the new man, you're like, whoa, whoa. I mean, I want to connect with other new men and new women. I want to be involved and pray, but I want to lift one another up. Those people are discouraging. Those people are always kind of leering at me and trying to, you know, God, they're, they're villains. And God's like, what? 
do you think you are? See, the beauty of being done is that you're done being a villain or a hero, for you are neither, and you are both. (laughs) Jonah is neither, and he is both. He is God's prophet and holy and righteous. He got a book in the Bible. What do you have? A whole book in the Bible about him saying, I believe in you, God, but I'm not going to do it. He's both. Pressed down and shaken together in the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish. The disciples are no different. Look at this verse. Okay, look at this verse that, uh, that uh, I'm going to read to you in just a second. Luke 24, 10. It says when Jesus came, he talked to Mary and he talked to Magdalene and he talked to Joanna. He said, hey, go get the disciples and tell them time to come back. It's time. It's been three days. I'm risen from the dead just like Jonah was sped out on the shore. I'm back and it's time to go do the work and reach the people that we're supposed to reach. And it says this. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But listen to these words. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. So they're like, not true. Can't be true. He's dead. He's left us. Let's go see. They're both. Do you see? They're both. They're still doubtful and fearful and broken. And yet Jesus gave them all kinds of promises. He gave them all kinds of, of, of examples of how powerful he was. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 19, because I live, you also will live. He even tied it into the story of Jonah for them to make it as clear as possible that when he went away, for three days, he'd come back. Matthew twelve forty. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. How much clearer do you need to have it? They knew Jonah's story. He went under. He came back. A city was saved. Jesus is like, remember that story? I'm going to go do that as well. He goes under, and they go, life's over. What a waste of three years of ministry. Everything's a sham. Can't even believe it. And then he comes back, and that human nature part of them tries to keep them huddled in that darkness while the Holy Spirit drives them back to the tomb to meet the Jesus they love. Like Jonah, the disciples were both running from and to a God they knew would both convict and save them all at the same time. You are both running from and to a God that wants to both convict and save you all at the same time. You think you're running away? He's already there. Like he has dinner laid out. He's ready to sup with you. He's ready to engage in your doubtful, fear-based conversations. He's ready to warn you. If you keep doing that, you're going to hurt yourself. It's going to be scary. But if you come with me, oh, you're getting up from the table. You're leaving. Okay. You show up three miles down the road in a different house at a different table, and there's Jesus. Anyways, what I was saying was, (laughs) he's where you're going, and he's where you will be. And he speaks to both 
the part of you that the Holy Spirit is awakening, the part of me that, that is good and full and devoted and submissive and connected and in harmony. And he speaks to the part of me that wants to be rid of all that and center of all things and jealous and greedy and vengeful. See, he loves all of me. That's what makes him different than anyone else that loves you. He died for all of you. Have you ever thought that Jesus didn't die on the cross for the heroic things you're going to do and not the villainous things you're going to do? That he died for both? That he is, he is so good at this that he's prepared for all situations and circumstances. And all you got to do is get pressed down low enough, quiet enough, and dark enough to hear him whisper that love to your soul. He is the resurrection of the life and the life. And because he lives, you live also. Do you have fears and doubts? Take them to the empty tomb. See in that empty tomb a God who promises. See in that empty tomb a God who made prophecies for thousands of years, who made promises to people like you and me who put their trust in him and then fell away who put their trust in him and then fell away. Over and over and over, those are the people he made promises to. In the empty tomb, see a God who keeps every single one of those promises in spite of us and continues to extend them fresh and new every single morning. In Christ, all of God's promises are fulfilled and he is who is waiting for you today. He is who is already where you're going and who is already where you've been. I'd love for you to close your eyes. We're going to pray kind of a, an interesting prayer as we just spend a little time reflecting. For some of you, this whole spiritual awakening you're having right now is brand new, and so I just I want you to, to be okay to sit in that place of discovery to pray to a God you've never prayed to, to ask questions, to feel his presence, and to perhaps awaken to the life you're supposed to live. If you want to talk to somebody about this God that you don't know, feel free to grab a pastor, write it on a communication card. We'll have someone come and spend time with you. I believe for most of you, you know who this God is. You've just replaced him with your own personality, your own priorities. You've given up. You've stepped aside. stuck you're in that deep and dark place that place that, that is so close and yet so far away and you're done my prayer 
for you is that you would just cry that out. That you would confess it, that you would say it, that during this this song that we're about to sing, you would lift your hands and offer it, that it would be what you brought to the table and you're part of the conversation. Just sit where you are and know that he is there. For some of you, you've been spit back up on shore and you know it's time to get serious about the things God has laid out for you. You've been to that dark place. God has revealed that you have some next steps and it's time for you to step out with all that you are and all that you aren't for Jesus. He is willing to fill in those gaps. He is willing to use those skills and that experience. And he is willing to do incredible things with your life if you will once and for all Go where he's going and do what he does. Lord, we are honored to be in a place where we can just talk about you. We can wrestle with so many different things. We are so very blessed, God, to worship you and reflect upon what it is you're revealing to us now. In Jesus' name.